Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, if this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and grateful that you're here and hope that Hill City becomes a place that you can uh, call home. We're in uh, the new series today coming off Easter. And um, does anyone remember if you're, you're old enough? Some of you guys won't, well, this won't matter, but um, do you remember uh, the first time you did uh, copy and paste on a computer? Does anyone remember that? Um, it was like the wildest thing, right? Like it was like, uh, I don't remember exact age I was, but one of my rich friends uh, had a computer. And, um, and like, I remember like sitting down, he's like, look what you can do with this. I was like, what? What is this witchcraft, right? Like it's like crazy, like what you can do on a computer. But I remember this copy and paste thing and uh, it was like riveting to me at like a young age. But um, the reason why we're doing copy and paste is uh, I have been like, mildly obsessed for about six or seven months uh, about this idea of imaging something and, um, and thinking through what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean for us to image God? Like what are those things actually like really mean to us? Because like a lot of times uh, if you grew up in church, you probably heard that phrasing, you know, that uh, you're made in the image of God, right? And when you're down on, like, down on your luck, someone might have said that to you at some point, like, hey, you've been made in the image of God. And, and it sounds really good on the front end, and, but sometimes we don't even know what it means. And, and so I want to talk about that for the next few weeks together. And, and today we're going to go like kind of high view, like 10,000 uh, foot view around it. But when it, what ends up happening is um, like after Easter, it's like this huge celebration, right? And uh, in church tradition, like the next 50 days are called Pentecost, and, and it's a celebration of and remembering of like, like Jesus spending time with, with people and appearing to people during this time. And, uh, but I was like thinking about how like in scripture when uh, the church starts, so like the resurrection happens and, and Jesus appears to people, and, and then the church begins soon after that. And there's all this language about imaging God, and uh, there, or in 2 Corinthians 5, like you're Christ's ambassadors, right? Like and there's this, this language that's centered around that we're representing something, and, uh, and so this whole idea of imaging has been something that's been ingrained in my soul for uh, several months, and I was trying to figure out, I was like, man, when do I want to do this, this sermon series? And so for the next, you know, few weeks, the next four weeks together, um, we're going to talk about and learn about together um, what it actually means to image God and, and, and like how we do that and there are ways to actually do that and, uh, and it comes from like this transformative experience that we, we have of Christ. But, but here's the thing, uh, to, to know and to understand this part, we've got to have a healthy view of ourselves and so the main thought here for this morning is simply this, our ability to live a healthy life begins with a healthy view of ourselves. All right, and so um, this isn't going to be, um, you might be thinking like, oh, is this one of those like self-improvement sermons? No. Okay, no, it's not that. But um, what I, it, it, hopefully it'll improve your life. But, but the reality is um, sometimes I think part of the reason we don't ever get to that point of having a healthy life and uh, some of those healthy habits that we want um, is because we actually don't view our life, our life properly. Like, we don't actually view ourselves how God views us. Um, we don't see the purpose of our life in the same way uh, that the Bible actually kind of teaches us uh, to interact with uh, the life that we have on uh, this earth. So today, again, we're going to go kind of high view of everything, and I want to just give us a, a baseline to build off of in the upcoming weeks. But um, when we think about um, imaging uh, there used to be a, a museum up in D.C. called the Museum, and uh, they used to have this section of, of Pulitzer-winning uh, prize photos, and it was like this incredibly moving thing. And there's something about like images that pulls something out 
you know, from us. They, they have, there's memories attached to them. Um, they create narratives and storylines that are so significant. And I was thinking about a couple of them. Um, like, we, if you guys remember, like, some of these images, right? Like, they're, like, significant in sports. Like, like, like huge, like, moments in sports um, where um, there, there were political statements happening. There were gender statements happening, right? Um, and uh, there were, like, really significant images that have withstood the test uh, of time and have carried out generation after generation after generation. Even when you think about um, images like this, like that have um, very significant moments, you know, from uh, 9-11 to Martin Luther King to, um, you know, it's the one, you know, the, what was the Robert Lee statue has become an iconic um, photograph. And then, of course, um, Man on the Moon, some of you guys with the moon would be like, allegedly. But, um, but like there, um, <laughs> but there is a reality that uh, these, these images like become, uh, they, they tell a story. We, we get attached to them, right? Um, these images, uh, they're like, they're, man, they're, they're creating a narrative. Even when um, all of the things that happened uh, with monuments like here in uh, Richmond, uh, I was asked at one point by someone, they were like, hey, what's your opinion on the monuments? I'm like, I, oh man, I, does it really matter? And like, yeah, I was like, curious what your opinion is. And, and I said, well, actually, I think like, as Christians, maybe we consider like maybe not ever doing statues. And, um, and, and he was like, wait, what? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, the history of statues isn't good. And, um, and I was like, maybe we should consider not ever doing them. And uh, I was like, it might be easier. And so even when you look at ancient cultures of like statues and idols, and, and, um, and so the word image, even when we're, we'll, we'll read it here in a second, uh, the word image is actually where you get like an idol or a statue from, right? It's the same word. And so in ancient uh, civilizations, what they would do with these statues and these kind of images of a king, what they would do is, so if an empire came in and, uh, and they overtook a land, um, they would make these statues of the leader of the king. And, uh, and they were really significant um, because they were, they were telling this story. They were telling a narrative. They were trying to get people to understand certain things about um, what the king represented. And so obviously um, there wasn't social media and there wasn't a way to get the word around so easily. So they would put these statues in, in different areas. And so when people would encounter the statue, they would come up and they'd be like, oh, this is this king's land, right? So we are under this king's authority and we conform to this king's image, and that's what it is, all right? So, so that's what it was about. I mean, go back like as far as you can possibly go historically. Like this is what was going on. And so in Egyptian and Babylonian cultures and everything, and it was like, this is what they would do. And it was like very significant. Once they put the statue up, the statue was telling a narrative. It was telling a story. It was trying to get people to conform to something, right? So even like, I don't care where you stand on, on the monuments here in Richmond. Um, let, me just, let me just say this about them though. Think about it. The statues, if you're on one side, like, like historically the reason the statues were there and who they were created by and everything had complete like racist undertones and, and, and uh, they were trying to tell a certain narrative, right? And then you've got some people, and even when, they, even when the statues were built, they were trying to create a narrative around statues, like kind of, again, oppressing black folks again. And so then you have some people on the other side, like, no, no, the statues are just about history, and we can't just throw away history, right? So you got these two different things, and it's funny, because like in the end, the statues are doing the very thing the statues are supposed to do, divide people and create a narrative for people to like fight against. And so... So we even think like, this, man, this, this imaging and the statues, it, it's been something significant for so long. And it's been such a really big deal, but, 
But maybe, just maybe, the Bible does something different with this whole idea of imaging. And this is why the Bible is so cool, and, uh, and, and I love it so much and, and learning from it. Because the way even the language of the Bible is like, it tries to get us to see like a whole different kind of narrative. And even when it comes to like who we are as people, it's trying to get us to see a whole different kind of narrative. You see, right now, if you kind of think about it, if you were like to pause and think and like, whoa, what are some of like the images that like the world tries to get us to be, to be like now and to conform to and whose authority, right? They're all around us all the time and trying to conform us to, to kind of bow down to an authority, to create a certain kind of narrative and to have a flow of our life and to image something. And the Bible does something like really cool in its creation story. And so we're going to spend some time there uh, this morning. Uh, but in uh, every, again, in every civilization ever, they had a creation story too. So um, a lot of times you pick up the Bible and people are like, yeah, it was the creation story. And it's like, well, actually it wasn't. Like there were other creation stories out there um, and that actually predate uh, the Bible. And, and even like a flood story, like a lot of the other uh, civilizations before it had a flood story, okay? So, so, but the Bible comes in and starts telling a, a different kind of creation story that shapes our lives very differently, that makes us try to see like the world around us way, way different. And it's important for us to then engage the story the way the Bible actually um, begins to talk to us about. So if you think about, oh, this is the last picture. I forgot to show this one. Um, have you guys ever seen this picture before, like the image of this one? Like, we work at home now, <laughs> right? This tells a whole day. This is like one of those pictures that kind of makes your butt like clench. You know, like it's like, um, but like this is like, you know, tells a whole different story of what people used to do. Anyway, <laughs> let's go back to the creation story. So. In the creation story, when the Bible begins to talk about things, it starts, um, even the way that we start thinking about the creation story, um, I think it's important to view it differently um, and view it the way the Bible actually talks about it. And, uh, and, and so even the way we think about it is a little different. So if this circle is earth, what the Bible actually starts saying is that above this earth was this other realm, and then in this realm there were stars um, the sun, and we'll do uh, the moon. We'll just call it the moon. And, um, and then up here were heavens, all right? And then they would say that, like, even above that was, like, an upper heaven, and then there was, there was, there was water all around it, all right? It's so, this is the way the Bible talks about it. And then the, the, the earth basically had these pillars underneath it holding it up. All right, so this is how the Bible talks about, like, creation and the creation story. And um, you may not think it does, but it, it just does. All right, so, um, so it talks about it in this way, and it, and, it, and it describes, like, all the things that were created. Like, in, 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 the, in the first wording, in the first sentence of Genesis chapter 1 in our Bibles, it says, like, in the beginning, right? Now, does that mean in the beginning, like, in the beginning of everything, um, it could, like we do believe that God created, you know, from nothing, that God created everything. And, um, and it could, but, but it could also mean, hey, a long time ago, God did this creative thing. All right, so, so it's like, in the beginning, God created, and he, and he created this stuff. And, and, and here's how it begins, like in day one, it was light, all right? So it kind of, which enveloped this whole kind of creative element, it illuminated things. Right? In day two, it was the heavens and the sky and the waters. They begin to separate. In day three, it's land. And so the reason why I have it broken up separately there um, in each one is because here's how the Bible is written. It's, and I just think this part's kind of cool. 
Day one and day four go together. Day two and day five go together. Uh, day three and day six go together. All right, and we'll talk about day seven next week. Um, but in, in the reason why they, they go together is because it's the habitat and then the inhabitants, okay? It's kind of how the rhythm of, of scripture and creation was, was, was done. And, and, and so when they did this, it was like, all right, so the light happened, right? And then day four, the sun and the moon were the light. Day two, the heavens and the sky and the waters, they all separate um, and, the, and then the birds and the sea creatures come in day five. Day three, it's the land. And then day six, it's, it's the animals. And eventually, it's uh, humanity. And, uh, and so, and day six, and this is just like a little nugget. If you kind of think uh, day three, between day three and day six, where humans were, it was on the third day, humans were created. You're going to see the third day element a lot in Scripture um, in a lot of different ways. So anyway, so, so this is a really cool kind of creative story that's being placed before us in this rhythm of how um, the, the writers of Scripture want us to see things. We want to see this like, all right, God created all these things. So when you think about like the creation story, do you think about like the things that were created? Like... Oh, that was when animals happened, and that was when the sun came into play, and that's when... Or do you think about the function to which everything was created for? You see, when the Bible starts talking about um, the creation story, it's not so much about what was created, but how. Like, meaning, like, what purpose? The why behind it. That there was this functioning to everything. And, uh, and, the, and we start seeing that, if we start seeing the functionality of creation, we'll start seeing actually our own lives uh, very differently. Even when you think about the creation story, um, if, for those of you that have read it, uh, do you remember, like it said, it would go like each day, and it would say, uh, and the Lord made it, and it was what? Good. But it doesn't say perfect, and it doesn't say complete. And so even sometimes the way we, we view some of this stuff, it's like we think that it was one way, but it actually doesn't say perfect or complete. And so we see like, well, hold on, it, maybe it's telling us a different kind of story and maybe we've missed something. You see, we start seeing that there's this functionality in between everything. There, there's this way that things are supposed to be ordered and there's this way that things are supposed to operate. And when you go outside of that, things break down. And so we start thinking through this creative story and how it's supposed to work. What if the creation story was more about how things are supposed to function and be created like a sacred place. Like what if the creation story was actually about um, God creating a place that he could dwell with people? Like what if the creation story was, was more about um, how humans were supposed to act with creation and the responsibility of how we're supposed to live? Instead of hey, uh, remember on day three when the land happened? Are those things a reality that, that can be, but maybe we're missing out on something very significant about what our life is actually about, what humanity is actually about. So if you go to the end of Genesis chapter one, I want to read this because we start seeing something significant start to happen. And this is in day six. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our what? In our likeness so that so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures, all creature, creatures, <laughs> creatures, what in the world? <laughs> creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image 
of God, he created them. Male and female. Not just male. Right? This is where like the hierarchy thing becomes like, you're like, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So let me pause here for a second. God sets up this storyline about humanity. So you and me and every human on the face of this planet that's ever been here, that ever will be here. And he sets it up. And what the story starts saying is like, humans were created something different about humanity. And we start need to see our lives in the way that the Bible tells us to see our lives. That humanity was, there's something different. Like, that humans are, are different than animals, okay? I know that line's getting, like, really blurred now. And I'm not saying you can't love animals, so don't, I know. This is, it's probably the most controversial thing I'll ever say, is, like, humans are greater than animals, okay? And so, you can love your animal, let me just get that out of the way. All right, you can love your animal, all right? Will Sparky be in heaven? I don't know, okay? <laughs> however, however, God created this, the way things are supposed to function, and that there's something different about us as humans, and that there are these tasks, these things that God has put into play, even the language that we see being used, it is priestly language to rule and to subdue. There's, there's something about the human condition that each, uh, each, each human that's ever been on, the, on this earth or ever will be, that you have a responsibility, that you have this incredible, incredible purpose in your life, so significant. And it's not about um, your talent. It's not about your skill. It's not about your job. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about whether you're single or you're married. It's not about any of those things. It's God has placed something before each human being, and we're supposed to see our lives in light of this. And he's like, no, 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 I've, I've made humanity very significant and with a significant purpose to, to dwell in me and to function in a certain way. In Genesis chapter 2, um, let me go to Genesis chapter 2. Nope. I don't actually don't have it. Let me go to Genesis 1, 29. Let me finish this. I give you every seed-bearing plant, uh, plant on the face of this earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And so God's like, hey, this, was, this is the way it's supposed to be. In Genesis chapter 2, I want to read this to you. It says in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. All right? So, so you're like, does that matter? And, and it does matter. Here's why. It means that Adam wasn't in the garden in the beginning. So God put him in the garden, into his temple, into his place that he is dwelling. He's creating this kingdom mindset, all right? So that humanity was like placed into this. And this is this to work it and take care of it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, 
For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so he starts creating these boundaries for people. And then verse 18 says, The Lord God said it was not good for the man to be alone, and so I will make a helper suitable for him, being the woman. Now you might say like, oh, is this helper language? Does that mean the woman is like less than? It's like, no, 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 no. See, the helper, that word helper means it's actually typically used for warrior. Um, it, it, uh, any other time that word is used in scripture, it's used for God. All right, so the helper is not anything about being weaker. And um, where does the Bible say um, women came out of the man's what? Rib, right? Even the word for rib is actually, it's, it's meant for a wall. Every other time in scripture that the word rib is used is for a wall. So it's about this idea of building a foundation or building something or building a kingdom. And so, so this language that the Bible is using is, is fascinating because it's saying that, listen, every man and every woman has this incredible purpose incredible purpose on this earth. But when things aren't functioning the way they're supposed to function, we trade in our purpose for something far less. When things aren't functioning the way they're supposed to function, we, we get disoriented and we choose to eat from a different tree that we weren't supposed to. And so they're setting up this storyline to begin us to understand of what it actually means to uh, image God. So what does it mean to, image, to be made in the image of God? We are God's representatives for his kingdom. So if you walked in here today and I, and I, and I interviewed you and I said, hey, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Um, how many of you guys would have said something like, uh, it's because of our souls or our spirit or um, we all have dignity, right? We're all dignity. And are those things true? Yes, right? All those things are true. Um, but actually, scripture says that to be made in the image of God is actually that we are representatives of God's kingdom. That that is what it means to image God. That you represent who God is. Now, if every human took that on as their identity, as an image bearer, would things be a little different? I mean, think about that. If every single person was like, no, 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 I'm made in the image of God, so, so here's what I do. I, I represent who God is in all that I do. All of a sudden, being made in the image of God starts feeling different. It isn't like this mystical thing that we typically make it. It's actually incredibly practical in how the Bible begins to describe it. You see, when you start thinking about the imaging of God then, it's like, oh, there's this kind of kingdom here on earth, right? That, and, and here's like this, this language even in the creation story that's, that's fascinating to me. Uh, when I was saying earlier that uh, when a new king would establish his statue and be like, all right, all the people image, you know, this king, they, that would mean that all the other people didn't, okay? So they're all enemies of this king. But the Bible does something like truly fascinating for every human. It uses language of all the earth to fill all the earth. So all the earth is God's kingdom. And it says all humanity, all people are supposed to do these very things and interact with God's kingdom and image God in the same way. It's using language that no one was using ever before and inviting people into this story. So let's just, let me just use this as an example. So if this grouping was all about Egypt, right? They're like, we're the image bearers. Then the Babylonians come along and like, no, we're the image bearers and you aren't, right? What God does is he comes in and he goes, no, no, no. 
we are all image bearers together. And when we do this, we're supposed to all image God's kingdom. That is our purpose. That is our identity. That is the, the, the why that we're here, the, to image who God is. So in essence, then, when we think about what it means to image God, it's more about our doing than our being. Now hear me out. Some of you guys are like, oh, well, hold on a second. Are you saying there are rules to this? Are you saying that, like, I got to do my checklist? I thought I got out of that whole thing. It's not about legalism. Um, it's not about um, a checklist of things. And your being will matter, and I'll talk about that in a second. But how the Bible describes it is the point, and being faithful to how Scripture is describing it, is saying that what you do, meaning how you act, like the things that you do, the way you live your life out, like imaging God is about that. So that, here's what you can do. You can sit down today, and um, you could do it right now, start thinking in your head, what are the areas of my life that I actually image God well? And what are the areas that I don't? And so it actually becomes a little more of a simple thing to be like, huh, am I actually imaging God? Am I, am I, am, am I imaging his, his kingdom? You know, when we start thinking about what his kingdom begins to look like and, and what he's placed uh, before us, he's doing something that's, that's really interesting. So he's using this kind of priestly language, as I said earlier, um, and he places him in the garden, meaning he's placing him in the kingdom. And it's like, all right, you're representative of, of what this is supposed to, to be like. And then he gives Adam and Eve things to do to take care of the earth, right? And he says, like, you're supposed to take care of creation. So let me give you an example. There's this there's this way things are supposed to function even in creation, the way that humanity is supposed to care for creation. And when it doesn't, creation will begin to groan. Creation will begin to, to like tell us things aren't going well because it's not functioning the way that it's supposed to function. And so um, do we have environmental issues? Yes, right? Some of y'all in here might be like, no, it's all a hoax. There's some stuff, okay? We have some environmental issues. Well, why does that happen? Because humanity is not treating God's creation like we should. So there are things that would make our planet better, but we don't do it because of greed. So we don't treat God's creation like we should. And creation then speaks back to us, doing what? It's disordered. And so things, so God will then speak to humanity through creation, being like, it's not working. You're making things out of order. And we begin to see, like, hold on a second, maybe there's a functionality that we're missing, and we're not actually imaging God the way that we should so God places this before them. He's like, hey, I want you to expand my borders, right? That's when he says, like, I want you to fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, expand the borders of the kingdom. So, so every person on the face of the earth is supposed to expand God's kingdom in the earth. The other thing that God does, he gives us boundaries. He, he says to Adam, he says, hey, um, and to Adam and Eve, like, don't eat from this tree from good and evil, the only reason Adam and Eve ate from the tree of good and evil is because they wanted to determine what good and evil was and not God. 
So what does that mean? They're trying to play God. They're trying to dictate their own life. And they started to image the serpent rather than who God is and what he placed before them. Um, We do the same thing, don't we? We want to determine what's good. And God's like, I'm already doing it. If you would just listen. Isn't that God wouldn't like let them in on what's good or evil? It's just like, no, you do it on God's terms, not your own. And it changes the way we begin to interact with the world around us. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, to be made in the image of God is very different than maybe we previously thought. You see, here's what ends up happening. When we want to be our own God, we exchange wisdom for foolishness, order for chaos, and life for death. That's essentially what we begin to see. And so um, in our lives, um, and I'm going to here in just a second show you like what we see in Scripture about uh, when God's things are in order, what it begins to look like. But in our lives, when we make this exchange, and Romans 1 talks about this, but when we make this exchange, if you think about your own life when there was chaos, when there should have been order, guaranteed if you peel back a few layers, you're like, oh, I'm actually not imaging God well here. Guaranteed. Uh, let's do an easy one. Um, money. Money. I'm going to go ahead and make an assumption that not everyone in this room has handled their money perfectly well all the time. You might now. You might be doing that. You might be killing it now. But like there's probably a time like you, did, you have not handled your money well. And, and uh, how many guys have been greedy before? <laughs> when you're greedy, you're disordering, like you're creating chaos. But when you're generous and handle your money well and you budget well, what are you doing? You're you're, you're you're using, like, you're functionally using things the way they should be. And there's a freedom within that. How many of you guys have um, made a mistake relationally? Yeah. Peel back the layer and guess what? You were not imaging God well. That argument you just got in with someone recently, could you, like, sit there and be like, you know what, I was actually incredibly gracious and kind and loving and forgiving, and the words that came in my mouth, it sounded like it was the Spirit of God speaking right through me, right? (laughs) We're not imaging God well in that moment. And so what happens? Chaos, disorder, foolishness, feeling like death rather than life in our relationships. And so we start seeing the image of God is, is very different. Think about it this way. When people as everyone has the capacity to image God. So now the reality is, is we will sometimes willfully choose to like uh, uh, turn away from doing that. But man, every person in this room, I don't care who the worst person in this room is, you have an unbelievable capacity to image God. I think it would start even changing how we viewed one another if that was like the premise that we started with. So in the creation story, here's what we see. When God desires everything to be like in order the way that it's supposed to be before sin interrupts all of it, here's what we see. We see peace. And we see his kingdom. This is the idea of the garden and the earth in and of itself. Um, we see uh, new life. Right? Um, that's of Adam and Eve. And then uh, we also see... Uh, 
uh, I'll say it this way, connection, um, relational connection to the spirit of God. All right? Meaning there's this deep connection to the reality of like our, our integration and connection to God. When we are imaging God well and things are functioning, this is what happens. When things get disordered, chaos and all the other stuff um, begin to happen, happen. So like, then all of a sudden, if you kind of fast forward to when Jesus was around, some of the things that he said like start a little different. So this is why this story of creation is like so powerful because some of the stuff that we then read later on uh, in the New Testament when Jesus um, is speaking, and then we're going to see something here in a second when Paul was writing a letter, they're actually pointing, they're trying to get people to like think about, man, what God desires for your life is to get back to the garden. This, this new creation, this resurrection life. And the first thing he says to them is peace. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, he's like, I'm sending you to do what? To build his kingdom. Right? And he says, and with that, he breathed life in them and received the Holy Spirit, this deep relational connection to God. And it's like, what is this? This is actually pointing everyone back to how things were supposed to be so you can be an image bearer. The flip side of that is this. In Romans 1, it's like when you start to image something else, here's what happens. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And so he's like saying, we have to like take a step back for a second. Like, does my life image God or the things of this world? How do you know that? By what you do. He's like, have you made the exchange? Therefore, God gave them over the sinful desires of their hearts and sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies of one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. All he's saying is like when, when humans refuse to image God, they don't experience the kingdom of God. You experience hell. That exchange is what that means. And so when we think about our purpose... All of a sudden, it's like, if I can see this high view, it's like, oh, things start to become more clear. I'm simply supposed to image God, and that's where I'll find my, the utmost of freedom, of hope, of actual life. And when we talk about wanting to be, like, really healthy, like, spiritually, uh, physically, emotionally, relationally, well, why is that? Because when we're imaging God, those things become What? in play for our lives. Because that's what God designed you to be, to be his image bearer. So I want us to pause here for just a second because I want us to like just take in, and if you want to take notes, you can write this down. If you want to, um, you can talk about it with someone next to you if you want, whatever. But we're going to take a minute. And uh, I really want you to ask yourself this question like, where am I imaging God well? Where am I not? That's simple. So we're going to pause here, and then we're going to sing one more song.
So God, this morning, um, the main idea was just trying to get everyone on the same page of understanding in order to have truly like a healthy life, one where I'm healthy and free and like truly feeling like there's a life-giving element to how I live. That I've got to, I have to like view my life in the right way and my purpose the right way. And so God, I just pray that if nothing else today, that we would simply understand we're supposed to image you. To be image bearers of your kingdom. To live our lives in such a way that um, we represent what you're really like. God, we'll talk about how we do that and all that stuff in the upcoming weeks, but... um, God, I just want to pray for anyone who may be sitting here that has been wondering uh, if their life is worth living to see that there is a deep purpose for their life, a God-given purpose for their life. To anyone here who is in a state of running and thinking, oh, if if I just move here, if I just do this, it'll clear everything up, that the reality is We just take our stuff with us and that what's really important is that we are image bearers. To those of us who have just gotten a little complacent, God, that there would be this deep sense of um, your spirit moving to really come to grips with the areas that maybe we're not imaging you well. God, there is a beauty, there is a freedom, there is a life-giving element to when your people take on this incredible purpose to image who you are. Because when you encounter it, there's no mistaking it. It's the most attracting thing that you could ever be around. And God, I pray that we would want to actually choose to live our lives that way to fully image you. We go to you in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing this last song?